And welcome back to the Joker's Corner. I am Marvel Kid AJ. Uh, and like I said before in episode two early that I released earlier this week, go check that out. Uh, this is the episode I promised everybody would come out still for the new comic books for me to review that I chose to review this week. And to cover any extra news that just so happened to come up. And there's a little bit of news, mostly just rumors. But there is some news, I guess. And we're going to start off with the same thing we started off with in the first episode of the podcast, And that's the James Gunn saga continues. We thought it was over. Well, actually, we didn't think it was over. It was uh, never really confirmed to be over due to the fact that Disney didn't really um, give us a flat-out answer, like, yes or no. They were going to use James Gunn's script, and it was a whole big jumble of a mess. But um, now we know that uh, James Gunn is not going to be rehired. Disney has come out, or there's been a report that has come out that said Disney is sticking with their guns. Uh, uh, Kevin Feige, no pun intended, Kevin Feige was at this meeting that they had and uh, even though he tried, he wanted James Gunn to be reinstated, Disney was like, no, he's not coming back. And uh, so, yeah, he will not be rehired, but there is a rumor that they're most likely going to use James Gunn's script still. So I guess he would have to get paid for that. So I would just take that. If I was him, I would be like, hey, go ahead and use my script. Do whatever you have to do to make it tied up in a neat little bow and just get paid for that and move on um but moving moving with that there was a along with the tweets that we know about um there was a new picture or pictures that came out where he is at a themed party and the themed party is uh, the themed party is i don't even know what the theme would be look there are a lot of weird parties you can go to, but this one is by far the weirdest party I've ever seen in photo form or any video form or anything. It's a picture of um, James Gunn dressed like a priest, and he's surrounded by uh, a few other people, and they're dressed as like adolescents. And it's 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 really odd. It doesn't really help the whole pedophile thing. I mean, again, I do not think James Gunn is a pedophile, but these pictures and these tweets just there's a line. You There's a line. You can be weird. You can be weird. You can be um, eccentric. You can be quote-unquote genius. I guess that, 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 that's how some people would describe their weirdness. Um, but like that's that's not good, bro. Like you have a picture of you dressed as a priest, with other people dressed as little kids, which is just so weird. It's not. I don't know why he would. Why is this a themed party? Why are people having themed parties where people dressed up as priests and everybody else dresses as children? Like they do realize what that implication is. Like I hope they're not stupid. They're adults. Like 
you realize what that implication is. So why would you even bother having a themed party like that? All it takes is for some... That party could have gotten shut down by just a neighbor or someone being like, hey, there's a priest, he's got a whole bunch of kids, and it looks really weird. Anything could happen, and they could it would not have looked good on their part. Like, it's, it's just not a good look. So, I mean, I can't really blame Disney anymore. Like, like, I mean, they should have done their research, but at the same time, it's like, dude, why does this exist? Why does this exist? This is, that party shouldn't have existed. You can say they were in the privacy of their own homes and stuff like that, but that's a weird party. And that does bring into question, like, why is this so acceptable for them to be like, have a theme party about that? that, that not only is it bringing the question about, um, about uh, James Gunn, but also the people in the photo. I don't know who they are, but like, what the fuck, man? Like, that's so weird. And I, that's really all I can say. It's just weird. It's just really, really weird. Um, so yeah, James Gunn's no longer going to be in the, part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. They might use the script. They might throw it out. And At this point, some people are saying, like, should they even bother making Guardians of the Galaxy 3? I would... They should, because those are, those are other people's jobs on the... Not on the line, like... No one a part of that cast will lose, will be in bad shape if they don't continue on with the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's just that it would suck to not continue on with it. It's just, it's just sad that it's gotten to this point. So yeah, on to the next topic. The next topic is a rumor. It is not confirmed or anything like that. Um, But uh, apparently Tom Cruise is famous for Mission Impossible and well-known Scientologist. That really has nothing to do. I just thought that would be funny to add in. But um, Tom Cruise is now being rumored as the front-runner for the Green Lantern movie and apparently I've heard that he wants to do it but only if and again like I said this is a rumor only if Green Lantern doesn't how Jordan how Jordan Green Lantern does not die at the end of the movie because the rumor is that how Jordan will end up dying in that movie because the Green Lantern movie is supposed to be like a buddy cop movie which what with assumedly how Jordan and Jon Stewart teaming up as the Green Lanterns and doing all that stuff as like a space cop, buddy cop movie. Um, so yeah, that would be pretty cool. But like, Tom Cruise doesn't want to do it if he die, if Hal Jordan is going to die at the end of that movie because of course, if you're an actor, you want to keep making money and you can guarantee that you'll have a constant in like a constant flow of money coming towards you if you're a part of a superhero franchise because 
they make these movies every year, so you know that you're, this is like a guaranteed check. So it makes sense on why he wouldn't want to die in the first movie. But um, I kind of hope it's not Tom Cruise. If they're, if, if they're so adamant about getting Tom Cruise to the point where they're going to sacrifice not killing Hal Jordan, and I know there are a lot of Hal Jordan fans out there. He's not my personal favorite Green Lantern. Um, but I don't think he's like the be-all, end-all for... Uh, Green Lanterns. I think John Stewart is a much better Green Lantern, um, but even he's not my Green Lan- favorite Green Lantern. I think Kyle Rayner is my favorite Green Lantern because he's like he's he's so art artistic with his uh, hard light constructs. Like he he was doing stuff like freaking anime Gundams and stuff like that, which is cool and which is what you should be doing with Green Lantern powers, not just your basic, like, minigun or sword or, like, plane or, you know, the boring stuff that we can just see. But, uh, so, yeah, uh, that's the rumor on the Green Lantern side. They want Tom Cruise, but they want to kill Hal Jordan off. Tom Cruise is fine. I guess Tom Cruise is okay with doing it as long as Hal Jordan doesn't die. If it was up to me, I would be like, all right, sorry, Tom Cruise. You're popular, but you're not popular enough to ruin... Uh, our plan um, and also it's like people grew up watching the Justice League animated series Justice League Unlimited and Jon Stewart was the Green Lantern of that show he is the Green Lantern that most people if you're not like a avid uh, comic book reader or follower you know that um, you know Jon Stewart is the Green Lantern and I think that's where the money is like can you imagine an an Idris Elba Green Lantern movie that would be hype so hype um I'm trying to think of who else could play uh Jon Stewart because he's got to have that like militaristic background that that or that serious undertone like that dry humor kind of thing that's kind of what Jon Stewart kind of is and I think Idris Elba could pull that off really well um but who else could play him? Uh, I don't. Want, I don't want Will Smith to be. I don't, I don't think Will Smith could play a good uh, Idris Elba. I don't think Michael B. Jordan could be a good uh, John Stewart either. Did I say Will Smith could be a good Idris Elba? That'd be funny. Um, but who could it be? I guess just Idris Elba at the time, at the at the present moment. Um, maybe who's the guy that played Rhodey in Iron Man One? Uh, I can't remember. I think something, something Howard. Uh, Terrence Howard. Yeah, the guy from uh, Empire. I think he could do it, maybe. Um, but yeah, and again, it's a slow news week. Uh, not much is coming out. Like I said, most of these are just rumors. Um, But uh, the next rumor is that in the sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming, I guess officially titled Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, because he'll be going to different European cities and countries and stuff like that. But, uh, but the rumor for that is that Hydro-Man is rumored to appear in that movie. And I just wanted to give my thoughts about that. I think that's a cool choice to let Hydro Man be in the movie because, like, 
they don't want they've already said that they don't want to use repeat characters from the old movies so and they're obviously building towards the sinister six um like you already they didn't kill off the vulture even though i don't think the vulture will be a part of the sinister six i actually think that he'll play an aspect into how spider-man will defeat the sinister six um because you gotta think about like this when you're you're they're building this they're building up to the sinister six so you've already introduced the scorpion and I, I believe that he'll be a part of it. Then you have to think they're about to introduce Mysterio re, re, reportedly. Mysterio is the main villain for Far From Home. And if Hydro Man is in this uh, next movie, you got three. And then maybe the Shocker. Maybe the Shocker. So you can get four. So in the next third, the third movie you introduce another like not that important villain but you also introduce maybe like a Dr. Octopus or a Norman Osborn someone that has connections that could get all the people that he's been beaten up or he's defeated out of prison like you they introduce the the idea to, to Adrian Toomes and he's like no I'm a family man I can't just break out of prison I want to see my daughter again and I think I think that is what they're building towards. I think, because he didn't, he didn't um, tell the scorpion uh, that he knows who Spider-Man is. So I think that's going to play an aspect into when they eventually get to the Sinister Six movie. So you introduce Mysterio, Hydro-Man in the Far From Home. Then you've already introduced Scorpion and uh, Shocker. So maybe you can have... Uh... Who could you have? Hmm. Maybe like, I don't want to say Craven because apparently Craven's getting his own solo movie by Sony, which is a stupid idea. But I'm not going to get into that. Um, who could they have? Someone who's not super, like, maybe the Rhino. Let's stick with the Rhino. Um, and then maybe you could have a... Well, they apparently just casted an, an Asian uh, actor for Far From Home as well. And I think you could have that guy play... I'm not trying to stereotype or anything like that, but since they're giving such a push to Mr. Negative in the Spider-Man Insomniac video game, Maybe they could be introducing that guy, and he could be the the guy who has the connections to get the the, the Sinister Six out of prison. And uh, Vulture's like, no, I don't agree with that. I, I want to see my daughter. Yada yada. All the stuff I already said. Um. So yeah, I think that's what, I think that's a good way to do it, and give us the Sinister Six. And it will also people will be like, oh yeah, that's the Sinister Six from the video game or whatever. Or he's a part of the Sinister Six because he was in the video game. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's how they can do it without introducing, like, the Green Goblin or uh, Dr. Octopus. And, I mean, I want to see the Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus. Like, those are, like, of course, like, one of the best, two of the best Spider-Man villains. And, um, but uh, they've already said they don't want to use villains that have, they've already used before, which is fine. Um, so, yeah, I hope that that's a possibility. They're smarter than me when it comes to these movies, so they could do that. But, you know, that's just my theory on what they could be doing. Um, 
I'm going to change up the format because uh, I feel like if I talk too much about comic books, it will be, it will get stale to um, the listeners, you guys. So um, I'm only going to review the five new comic books that I, that, um, I felt were like the best uh, this this week, which was, what's today's date? Today's the 16th that I'm recording this, so they came out the 15th. Um, so I'm going to just get into that part and uh, review the five best comic books that I read. And um, the five best that I read, the ones that I personally chose that are the five best. And then I think I'll start making more podcasts, like different, like, podcasts that are strictly for old school comics and then maybe um i'll make a podcast that is strictly for just anime talk and i'll have like guests on there to talk about anime maybe like yeah you know, stuff like that all right so starting off with the first comic review for august august 15th it is going to be Edge of Spider Geddon number one, written by Jed McKay and pencils by Gerardo uh, Sandoval. Sandoval, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Sorry. Um, basically, this is a story with uh, Spider Punk. Spider Punk is an alternate dimension Spider-Man that is actually um, Hobie Brown in this universe. I don't know what happened to Peter Parker in this universe. I can't remember. I don't know if they explained it in uh, his Edge of Spider-Verse thing. But anyway, he's a punk rock version of Spider-Punk. And that's two of my favorite things, punk rock music and Spider-Man. So I was like, dope. Let's, I'm all for this. But anyway, this is, a, uh, this is the gateway into the next big Spider-Man-centric event. Um, if you don't know about how Marvel does do their events, they kind of break it down into like the three major parts. They break it down into like Avengers, X-Men, and Spider-Man events. Uh, I mean, sometimes you have like Fantastic Four events, but they kind of like, they're kind of like included with the Avenger events, I think. But, uh, anyway, so yeah, Spider-Geddon is going to be the next big Spider-Man event where you're going to get all the different aspect, uh, different uh, universe Spider-Man. And I think what they're trying to do is clean house in the Spider-Man world to make sure there's, to make sure there's not that many Spider-Mans because there are like tons of Spider-People like currently, like too many. How many people, like how many people can you have in one universe that spin webs and stick to walls and stuff like that? Like it's, too, there are too many. So I'm hoping like this clears some of them out. I do want them to keep Spider-Punk because this issue was a ton of fun. Like, let me just start off with, uh, the story opens with, uh, Spider-Punk fighting the punk rock version of Thunderstrike, uh, because Spider-Punk is like, you're breaking my rules, man. No gods, no masters, no conformity at all. Um, and, like, Thunderstrike is trying to lift his hammer so he can, like, become the Thor or whatever. Um, but yeah, anyway, he beats him up, and Kang the Conqueror from the year 2099, I think he's from the year 2099, shows up and wants to uh, capture Spider-Punk be- before he dies because he's told him, like, yeah, you're, you're, you're about to die soon. Your life expectancy is coming to an end real soon, and 
I've turned you into like a, a merchandising character and what better way to increase sales for you by bringing the real life thing to the present, for, to my time to capitalize on that. And uh, Spirepunk's like, oh no, that's, I'm not conforming to that because that's the punk rock thing to do. And, uh, and is, he fights like these like mini versions, like these like mini merchandising stuffed animal versions of him. Um, uh, he goes to find Captain Anarchy, which is like the punk rock version of Captain America. Uh, and Captain Anarchy is fighting like what looks like, uh, what were they? They were the Annihilus Wave, but they were, they were, um, they were obsessed with Beach Boys music, like surfer music. Um, so they were fighting against that. Um, Spider-Punk goes to Captain Anarchy to get this tape because he's like, this is the thing that can save the day for himself, I guess. Um, so he gets the tape and he goes to this guy he kept calling Robert. So in my head, while I'm reading this, this book, I'm like, who is Robert? Who in this Marvel universe is about to get punkified? And, um... I forgot that Bruce Banner's, in some of the, I think the old TV show, his name was Robert Bruce Banner or something like that. In some of the comic books, he's been called Robert as well. Um, so I forgot about that. And it was a nice little Easter egg, because in, in like the normal universe, the moment the Hulk gets angry, he becomes the Hulk. And in order for the Hulk to turn into, to, in order for Robert Bruce Banner to turn into the Hulk in this universe, he has to listen to like some heavy metal music. So, uh... He listens to the heavy metal music and turns to like this big uh, heavy metal version of the Hulk, and they they save the day and whatnot. And then Mayday Spider Girl shows up, saying like stuff's about to go down, same kind of stuff that brought us all together uh, in the first place, like with the Inheritor. So you need to come on because you know stuff's about to get real. And uh, he goes because he's like. Well, King already said I'm not expected to live much longer, and I guess this is the reason why, so uh, let's find out what's going to happen. And it's better to have a team than just try and fight it on my own. So uh, he goes, and then next issue is going to be the robot Japanese Spider-Man person. I can't remember her name, Uh, but she was in the Edge of Spider-Verse comic, too. Uh, So I, I really dig this issue. I really hope... Um, they keep Spider-Punk because I love Spider-Punk so much. Like I said, it's two of my favorite things, Spider-Man and punk rock music. So um, I want them to keep him around. I think they will because he's a skin in the... Uh, he's actually a pre-order skin in the Spider-Man Insomniac game. Uh, the only reason I know that besides the YouTube videos is because I pre-ordered the uh, Spider-Man game. Yeah, I fell into that trap. But... uh yeah, I wanted them to keep him around. I wanted him to have his own book because he's awesome. That he really needs to get his own book. Um, and I would just like to see the world, like the punk rock world of the Mar- the punk rock Marvel Universe world. I think that'd be really cool to see. And uh, so, yeah, I hope he stays around. Um, I would give this issue like a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, I enjoyed it, but it's not like it's no, like, 
thing that I'm gonna like buy and hang it up and put it in like plastic and hang it up on the wall or something like that. It's just a fun issue and stuff like that. It's just to put to plant the seeds of Spider Geddon and get people to be start talking about it and start wondering what this event is that is gonna have to bring all these spider people together. Um, the next the next comic I'm gonna talk about is Extermination Number One. And that is the latest X-Men uh, event. And mainly focusing on the younger versions of the original five X-Men, which are Bobby Drake, uh, Beast Hank McCoy, uh, Warren Worthington Angel, young Scott Summers, Cyclops, and young Jean Grey, who I can't remember if she's going by Marvel Girl. Marv, Marvel Girl at this point in time. Um, she, she was when they introduced her, so I don't see why they wouldn't. But they're most likely just calling her Jean Grey because she doesn't get a code name unlike everybody else. Um, the story is written by Ed Brisson, and the artist is Pepe Laraz. I really, first off, I, I apologize to the artists and the writers of these books. Y'all have some very hard name, pronounce hard to pronounce names so if i'm butchering them i apologize i mean no disrespect i have much respect to all of y'all um even if i don't like your book y'all y'all made it to the comic book industry and i can only give y'all props for that y'all put up with, i can't even imagine the crap y'all put up with to get where y'all to where y'all at right now um so like i said we're going to start off with extermination number one and the story starts off with it being set like the story opens up 20 years in the future and this hooded figure is going through a time portal in search of an old man who screwed up because it's a dystopian future all the x-men are just bodies are just lying there i don't think there are any mutants or anything and this this hooded figure is like oh man that old man screwed up and uh he jumps through his time portal uh we then transition to the x-men blue team uh, which consists of at this at the time uh, Cyclops, like I already said, all the people I already listed, and also Bloodstorm, which is an alternate dimension Aurora Monroe, who's half vampire and also has all the powers of Storm. Um, they the blue team save these two mutants who have no memories prior to them being saved, uh, and they take them to the X Men Gold. The X-Mansion that is now in Central Park, which is being run by X-Men Gold, which is Kitty Pride's team. And they leave them there because they didn't have anywhere else to take them. And they're like, yeah, just watch these kids and let us know if anything comes up with them. Uh, we transition to Cyclops and Bloodstorm going on a date. And uh, I think this is such an awesome scene because um, it's cute. Because it's it, it gives Cyclops a lot of character, which you didn't really get when the, he first got introduced, like, I think in the 60s, I want to say. Um, he was kind of just like the stiff of the team. Whenever there's whenever there's a leader, he's usually like the stiff, like the kind of like the lame or whatever, like uh, Captain America. It wasn't that interesting when he first got introduced into the... I mean, I won't say he wasn't that interesting. I'm sure people found him interesting, but when you're reading it me myself when i'm reading it i'm like you're kind of boring cap you, you don't have that much personality you're just the leader like the leader was always not the most exciting character i like cyclops i love cyclops but like he was never that interesting he was just the leader um but this gave him a lot of like 
especially in that, which is also why I'm not, I don't know how I should feel about extermination because they're, the main purpose of extermination is to kill off the young X-Men or to send them back to where they came from because they're messing up with, they're messing up the timeline or whatever. But I really enjoyed them. Like, I know some people don't like them, but I really like these characters. I want them to stay. I know they're not, but I really wish they would. I want, if they, if they have to go, send everyone back except Cyclops. We don't have a Cyclops in the uh, main timeline right now. So let's just keep the young Cyclops and let's just start him from scratch there. And uh, because he he's getting so much cool character development that he didn't get back in like the 60s or whatever. But anyway, him and Bloodstorm are on this date. And they get attacked by um, the Future Hounds. And I don't know who... I can't remember the guy. Uh, I mean, I, I found out later. And I'll, I'm a, I'm a, the way I'm going to do these, I'm going to talk as if I'm reading. My emotions are happening while I'm reading it. And at this point in time, I had no idea who... I just knew about the Hounds. I knew they came from this alternate dimension where Rachel Gray is from. And that they were mutants that are used to hunt other mutants or whatever. I don't know who was in charge of them. I'm not the, like, I, again, I don't know everybody's history. I, I know they're not in control of themselves and they're hunting, they, they hunted uh, other mutants or whatever. So I didn't know the guy who was controlling them. So I was like, who is this guy? I don't know who you are. I don't know why you're a threat, but I know that those hounds are really bad people. So not bad people, but they're pretty bad. Like, uh, they're trouble. So I, that's that got through clear, and of course, like through this fight, Bloodstorm dies. So Cyclops is like super sad, and uh, he sends out like an SOS to Gene. Um, but I mean, the future, the future dude and the Hounds, they escape because like he Cyclops unleashes like this huge optic blast, which like blows a hole in like the restaurant that they were at. Um, it transitions to Iceman watching a play, and he has to go to the mansion after hearing Gene's SOS about Bloodstorm. Uh, on their way, he's attacked, and Cable shows up, saving, saying he needs to live. He needs the young Iceman to live for the sake of the future. Um, we transition back to the mansion. Scott and Gene and Hank find out about Rachel, find out from Rachel Gray about Ahab. This is the guy who I didn't know at first. His name is Ahab or Ahab or whatever his name is. Um, and she says that must mean why her markings are bad. Because for some reason when they had started the whole um, relaunch for the X-Men, her markings came back and she couldn't explain it. I thought it had something to do with the fact that uh, I think his, his name is Mesmero was controlling her or whatever. But it, I guess this is the new reason why her markings were back. Um... Back with Iceman and Cable, they are fighting the hooded figure from the opening scene. Um, the blue, the X Men blue team can see through Cable's eyes using Cerebro, um, but they get cut off when Cable gets executed by the hooded figure. Who at this point in time, I still didn't, I didn't know who he was at the time. So I'm, in, I'm really intrigued by the story at the point in time. Um, the key members of all the current X teams that has a Summers show up, like so, like for X Men Red, you had Nightcrawler and Jean Grey, older Jean Grey, and then you had uh, of X Men Gold, you had Kitty Pride and 
Rachel Summers, and then of course you had uh, X Men Blue. You had all the X Men Blue characters, but you also had Cyclops and Jean Grey. Those are the main Summers people that had a connection to Cable. So it's a pretty emotional scene. I'm not gonna lie. They were all very upset that Cable was uh, dead because they're either they're related to him. They're like either that's either their son or uh, I guess how would this, how does Cable relate to if I guess alternate dimension brother i guess so yeah i guess i guess that's the best way to explain that there it was pretty emotional um they show up to confirm that cable's dead and uh we find out at the end of the comic that the hooded figure is a young version of cable and his design is awesome whoever came up with this design kudos to you because that is a sick design. I love the design of Young Cable, and I hope he sticks around after this whole event because he looks awesome. Like, I'm not the biggest Cable fan. I think he's just a retcon machine, which he is. But uh, if if you can somehow turn him into, like, a regular current, like, a reoccurring character, use him because his design is awesome. Uh, but, yeah, that's that was Extermination number one. I would give this... Uh, a high 8.5 because I really enjoyed it. I'm intrigued about the the whole wh how they're gonna get rid of these characters. And apparently, I read the I read the letter that they uh, put in, the the Ed Brisson put in. I hope I'm, I hope I said that right. I, just, I know I just said his name like 20 like like two minutes ago. So yeah, Ed Brisson. I hope uh I hope he promises. I hope he keeps his promise. He said that he's not just, this isn't a story to just get rid of them. This is like a culmination of all his, all their arcs that they've been going on since they've been introduced with Brian Michael, when Brian Michael Bendis originally brought them in. So, um, and I think he, I think he really does care about this project. He talks about like how he just pitched it and how, cause he was thinking about it for a while. And, uh, they told him that they were going to go with his idea, so he, I guess he, he must really care about this idea, and I think if it, I, it should go well. I, I think, I can, I can see that he really cares about how he, he's going to execute this story, and just with this first issue, it, 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 it was enjoyable. I really, I really dug. I think this might have been, I mean, there are, like, there is, the next one I'm going to talk about, this that one might be better, but as far as I'm concerned, this was my favorite on the Marvel side. Well, you know, this is how I'll say it. This was my favorite Marvel comic book of the week. Um. So, yeah, it's off to a strong start. Let, I, let's just keep that momentum going. Let's not burn out halfway through and be like, uh, is this event ever going to end? Like, it's it's a five in, a, a five issue series so it shouldn't get to that point but like you can have a really cool event and have a really cool idea and then as it keeps going you don't know how to end it and that's where the problems start to happen that's when it starts to fall apart so let's stay strong let's 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 please ed brisson please have a good solid plan to respect these characters and and if you're going to keep any of these young these young mutants we don't need another Jean Grey, so she can she can she can go off. We we have the original back. We don't need her. We don't need Angel. We don't need Young Iceman running around. I like Young Iceman, but we don't need him running around. We already got Adult Iceman. We don't need Beast. He's not even blue. We don't need him. So, we need a Cyclops though. We need Cyclops. Please let us keep Cyclops 
please. Or at least bring back Cyclops, the original Cyclops. In some way, shape, or form, we, the X-Men team needs to have a Cyclops. Or Scott Summers, please. Just give me that, and I'll be happy. But yeah, I'll, like I said, I'll give this 8.5 out of 10. It was my favorite Marvel comic book of the week. Um, so yeah, great job. Um, moving on. We're going to switch things over to DC. And now this. I, <sighs> Batman number 53. And if you don't know, of course, the writer is Tom King because he's doing a whole 100-issue series. Or he wants to do a whole 100-issue series. And then um, the art is by Lee Weeks. First off, this has been uh, this has been a phenomenal run by King. Anyone who knows that he's doing a big 100-issue story and uh, they just left after the left at the altar thing, you're missing out because this Batman number 53 is so good, so 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 good. Um, and I want Weeks, like Lee Weeks, to be the Batman artist forever. Uh, he has like this awesome year one look and feel, and it works for Batman. So I want that to stay around. Like it, it, it makes it gives me the um, that Batman vibe, and uh, only few artists can give me that Batman vibe, and he he's one of those few people that gives it to me. So yeah, both. Both y'all did awesome jobs on this issue. Um, but yeah, this is a continuation of the past two stories, the past two issues, where uh, there's like, it's like a trial of uh, Mr. Freeze, and Bruce Wayne's actually on the jury, and he doesn't think Mr. Freeze is guilty, and he's trying to prove that Batman is wrong. So he's basically proving that he was wrong in the situation. And... Uh, he uses the argument that because Batman either has saved or saved one of those people, he is like that either because that bat because Batman has saved either someone on that jury or someone that the jury knows. They're not unbiased, so it's unfair from the get go, um, and the fact that people the people of Gotham look at him as a god, they look at Batman as a god, and um, when he's just a man, like they look at him as a god. Because they're like, oh, he protects us when there's like a lunatic running around. He comes out from the shadows and he saves us. He's the one that makes the streets safer at night, yada, 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 all this stuff. But in reality, all Batman is is a, a man, just like they are. So he can make mistakes just as easily as they can. And it's unfair to just believe that he is without fault. And he uses... um. He uses, uh, King uses a Bible story, uh, the tale of Job, um, to, to, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? To make his point. And it works pretty well. Like, like, like the, the, he, he compares the, um, the citizens of Gotham to like Job and then like Batman to God. And they're like. Oh yeah, I guess that that will that would make sense of like he's not God, like he's just a guy. Um, so 
so yeah, they 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 realize that Batman is a man. He can make mistakes, and Mister Freeze did say at the beginning of the trial that like he wasn't himself. Something set him off, and he was different. He was not his normal justice person. Like he was angry. He was more vicious. Like, he was not himself. So uh, it turns out that Bruce Wayne somehow I don't want to say he paid off because I don't think he paid him off, but he got he was able to get onto that jury. He was he they weren't originally planning to put him on the jury. He was able to get himself onto that jury so he could defend, make sure that Mr. Freeze uh didn't go to prison because of a of a mistake that he made. And the whole reason Mr. Batman was uh angry and was just be- savagely beating Mr. Freeze and why he wasn't himself is because he's going through his first real heartbreak. And just because Batman has a plan for everything, he can have a plan to fight Superman, the entire Justice League. You can't really plan for heartbreak. And I think that's what was the main point of this story. And I think that's what Tom King was going for with uh, uh, the whole left at the altar thing. Batman can prepare. He can have all the preparation time in the world. He can be anybody. But you can't be the heart the heart is going to always win out in the end so like he he can't plan for heartbreak you never know when your heartbreak's coming you don't know how you don't know who um and it caught him slipping so batman might be able to beat superman but he can't beat the he can't beat heartbreak uh i would give this one a nine nine out of ten i really enjoyed it uh I hope Lee Weeks continues on to be the artist because at the end of the issue, Batman's like, I got to get back to my roots. I got to remember who I am. Um, so it's like he's starting out from year one all over again. And like I said, it gives Lee Weeks' art has a year one vibe. So if they're really going to like Batman is back in the trunks, like this is like their way of explaining that Batman's like back in the trunks. So if they're really going to follow through with this, I think they should keep Lee Weeks on the as artist just until like he's back to being his normal self. But as far as him going, starting from the ground up and rebuilding himself, he needs to, I want them to keep the Lee Weeks, I want them to keep Lee Weeks on because he gives off as, he gives off that early stage of Batman. Um, like I said, nine, nine out of ten. Uh, great issue. Uh, like I said, whoever left because of the whole wedding left at the altar thing, you're missing out. You got to pick it back up. Tom King is killing it. Just trust the man. Just trust these people. Like they are, they're writers for a reason. Trust them. Let them tell their story. And at the end, then you can judge. You can you can say like, okay, this issue uh, wasn't the strongest, or this issue is this. I mean, you can even say the issue sucks. But don't just drop them off. I mean, of course, comic books are like expensive and stuff like that. But don't just disregard. Like, if you love the character, just trust the writer. Um. Don't let one single issue, just because you were really looking forward to Batman being married, don't let that single issue of Batman... You are, As comic book readers, we know the tropes of comic books. We know that the, the editors and the writers or whatever... I mean, it's not all writers, but the majority, like the, the people that control what gets put out there, you know that they don't like it when their characters get married... Like, you, that's the whole reason why Spider-Man couldn't be with Mary Jane. That's the whole reason why Superman can't have a kid 
for I mean that wasn't that's more of Brian Michael Bendis's choice that's not really there but you, you know you get what I'm trying to say so don't blame it on the writers let them tell the story that they're trying to tell and just trust that they they're, they're going to try and give you their best story especially with someone as popular as Batman like they're not going to try and do Batman dirty they're not they might do stupid things like tell the New York Times the entire plot of the the the, the story and give it away but uh don't, trust the writers and like give them just just give them just give Tom King another shot because he really had before the whole left of the altar thing I think he's been having a really strong run so yeah just give him another shot this is the, the perfect issue in my opinion to or I should say arc this the three issue arc that they were doing is a perfect way to get back into it um so yeah just give him another shot um the next one on the list is Aquaman number 39 uh with the writers being Dan Abnett um, and pencils by, oh, no, the writers are Dan Abnett and Rob Williams, and the pencils are Joe Bennett. Uh, this is the continuation of the crossover between Aquaman and the Suicide Squad. Uh, so where we last left off, the Suicide Squad realized that they had a nuke, and that's was how they were going to sink Atlantis. Um, they're arguing over what to do about the nuke, and Ursul, I couldn't remember her name, She's the Atlantean informant that is going to get them into Atlantis so they can bring it back underwater. Um, Ursul and Croc end up in Killer Croc end up getting into a fight about what to do with the nuke because I guess Ursul didn't think the nuke was uh, part of the plan. Um, anyway, Aquaman is hiding the fact that the Suicide Squad is there and goes to fight. Well, he's hiding it from Mera. I should say that he's not just hiding it from everybody. He's hiding it from Mera. So him and his like, um, his like his little team of like dolphin, uh, Beastmaster, the Beastmaster, that's not his name. That's not like his code name. I just can't remember his the, the Atlantean who like controls all the sea monsters or works with all the sea monsters for the the army of the Atlantis, and uh, one of the sisters of the widows widowhood people, um, they go to fight the Suicide Squad, and. This is why I don't read Suicide Squad books because their dialogue just sucks. Like, you got Deadshot trying to move the story along and stuff like that, and then you just got Harley Quinn. And, and I know this is gonna be annoying to some people. It's gonna be like, oh, how can you not like Harley Quinn? She's annoying. Harley Quinn is very, very annoying. When she's in a big group of people, she is very annoying because she's. She serves no real purpose. She just spouts dumb nonsense, like, for no reason. I get that's her character. I get that's what she does. And I guess that's the appeal to her. But, like, when I'm trying to read a story and trying to move the plot along, she's just in the way. Like, she's just taking up space. Like, she could be... Her writing her writing stuff could be given to some other character. You got these two other characters that... I call them no names because I, I I guarantee you their heads are getting blown up by the end of this this uh, crossover. They always mention uh, the bombs in the, the Suicide Squad members' heads. As soon as they accomplish whatever they need to accomplish that the writers need them to do, they're getting their heads blown up because they're not, I've never even heard of these two people. So they're gonna get they're 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 dead. They are immediately dead. Um. But anyway. 
Aquaman and his team defeat uh, Deathstroke. Not Deathstroke. I always say Deathstroke when I mean Deadshot. Deadshot and Harley Quinn. They capture them and they take them to like their like dungeons or whatever. But Ursul, the Curly Croc, and the two no-names, they escape and they're going to continue on with their plan. Uh, meanwhile, Mera and Aquaman are arguing about Arthur, like undermining her and just hiding the fact that the Suicide Squad was there. Uh, Mera is taking this as like aggression from the surface world and Aquaman's like, no, they'll just, def- they're, they're not even really here. To the outside public, they don't believe, they're not going to believe that they're here. Um, and I guess they don't have like video cameras in Atlantis. I, I don't know. I didn't, I, I guess you could just show them. I, <laughs> oh, no, okay. I think, I think the argument he was saying was because they're villains. So people, they, they can just spit in and say they're acting on their own. I think that's what he was saying. Because um, I was about to say, if you just say, like, you can just show them, like, footage and be like, yeah, your government sent these people. So I think they'll just spin and say they just broke out of prison or whatever. Um, so Mara's like, all right, if the surface are going to send their black ops group to take out Atlantis, it's only fair that we have our own black ops group. Um so she sent Mira sends Aquaman's to go recruit uh, King Shark and a few other Atlanteans from like the Ninth Tribe. I think that's what it's called, um, which is like the slums of Atlantis. So and King Shark did team up with them to stop uh, to stop this war that was going on in the last arc of Aquaman. So I guess that's why they're bringing him back, um, which is which is cool. And I think he was also part of. Uh, Suicide Squad, so I think that's also why they're bringing him in. Um, at least the, from the writing standpoint, I think that's why they're also bringing him in. Uh, this issue was okay. It wasn't as strong as uh, their starting off issue, but uh, it was okay. It wasn't wasn't bad or anything like that. Uh, so I'll give it like a seven, seven out of ten. Um. And then my final review for the week of August 15th is Tony Stark Iron Man, which has the... It's Tony Stark Iron Man number three, and which is Legacy number 603, uh, with the writer, uh, of course, being Dan Slott and artist being Valerio... Sh- I, I'm not going to pronounce that. Skitty, I think that's his name. I don't want to pronounce it the other way I think it is. Um... <laughs> So it opens up with uh, Tony Stark explaining that people are going to beta test uh, this project that he calls Escape, um, which is like the Stark Unlimited secret project that they've been working on for the past two issues, uh, which turns out to be a virtual world where you can like explore the virtual landscape and be whoever you want to be. Um, in the next scene, we have... Uh, a flashback of the day before the beta goes online of Tony talking to the Stark Unlimited team about the beta testing and, and yada. There's a funny slash cute interaction between uh, Amanda and Mr. Bang, also known as Andy, for those who are following. He's like, uh, he was like Tony's like main competition when Tony was like 12 in like the robot soccer league. Uh, but uh, they have a they have a funny interaction where Mr. Bang, who's like a big fan of Amanda, uh, Amanda Armstrong, who's like Tony's biological mother from 
Brian Michael Bendis' run. And on to to sidetrack on that note, I really like how Dan Slott is able to um, use old and new characters like seamlessly and have them just their interactions just work. Um, so yeah, they they have a uh, uh, Andy. I'm just gonna call him Andy. I'm not gonna call him Mr. Bang. Uh, Andy and uh, Andy, I ask uh, Amanda like on the on a date inside the virtual world while they're beta testing it. No, no, no. Amanda asks Andy if she want if they want to hang out inside the virtual world, and they can go like inside the like rock concert world, and like she can like relive her glory days or whatever. Uh, also, in this scene, we have Machine Man and Jocasta who are currently dating, and uh, they have an argument about the whole uh, escape thing and how it goes against the Robo culture. This was a very funny. This was like, this is like so funny. This is like, it's like. Dan Sly is, like, making commentary about, like, the whole, like, outrage culture and stuff like that. Um, or at least that's how I took it. Like, like how everyone gets so angry instead of just realizing that, we're like, we're all humans. Like, like we're all part of, like, just one species just trying to survive. Like, we should be getting along trying to fix the world's problems, not fighting with each other. But um, I thought that was funny. Uh, I really, I thought that was very funny. Good, good job, Dan Slott. Uh, anyway, back in the escape session, our, like, point of view character is looking for Stark employees because at the beginning, Tony Stark was saying that if you find the, the, uh, the, the real-life, uh, employees of Stark Unlimited hidden within the NPCs, uh, I'll give you some money or whatever. Uh, so our POV character manages to get Amanda and Andy where and it was funny because Andy was act was was able to like in the virtual world he was Amanda Armstrong and Amanda Armstrong was like her uh his her guitarist which looks like um Michael Jackson's guitarist I think that's his what was his name I don't know if that's his he was strictly Michael Jackson's guitarist but he I the first time I saw him he was with Michael Jackson so, um, I can't remember his name. He was, like, really dope, though. Um, so, uh, they get knocked out, and then we follow the POV character to, uh, a Westworld area, a, a Western area, I'm calling it Westworld, because that's literally what it is. Uh, Westworld, or they make a joke about it, too. And then Machine Man shows up and starts just wrecking people. And we have a flashback, too, where, of how Machine Man was able to get into the escape and apparently some the person who has been hacking into uh Stark Unlimited through Bethany who's like their uh what is she she's like uh secretary of defense or whatever for them um not that's not the term I'm just that's the best way I can put it she's like the security team the head of the security um she's they were she they take control of her and then she uses a, a image inducer and she goes to like this bar for robots and on sidetrack again for that bar to exist where it's just strictly for robots i don't know i didn't see a human in there so who is watching these robots and why are we just letting robots just have free range to do whatever like these robots could revolt like join together and revolt also i found it funny that herbie the like robot from maybe that's how they're doing it uh Herbie from the Fantastic Four is in there. He's at the bar, and it's it's hilarious. So uh, I think maybe that's how they're getting away with it. At least that's how I'm going to rationalize it in my head, that Herbie's, like, the enforcer 
of this bar. That's why the robots haven't like revolted yet, um, or gotten together to revolt. But anyway, she uses the image inducer, disguises herself as a robot, and uh, and for those of you who don't know, image inducers are like things that like allow the people to like disguise themselves. Um, if you watch the X Men Evolution cartoon. You know it best from Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler used it in that show. I mean, he used it in the comic book too, but that's how I was introduced in X-Men Evolution. He used it to go to high school and stuff like that. By the way, X-Men Evolution, everybody should watch that show. It's a good show. Got canceled too early. We were just about to get into like the hype stuff as soon as it got canceled. Um, anyway, back to the book. Uh, so... Uh, we from there we find out that the POV character was Jocasta and she and Tony team up to fight um Machine Man and it's funny because they they lead him to the mystic area of the virtual world and Tony Stark is actually disguised as Doctor Strange and he makes the joke that he's like the the Machine Man's like oh this you can't defeat me with magic we're in the virtual world and he's like oh wait what is that that's that's code, and he was like, and Iron Man's like, yeah, because I'm the Source Coder Supreme, and it's so funny. It's that's such it's such a good joke. I really like Dan Slott's humor. I I'm, it's, it's see, I'm so torn. I'm torn between the fact that uh, he's not doing Spider Man anymore because he's I think he's a legitimately funny dude, um, and he that kind of helped with Spider Man. He would tell really funny jokes or have really funny gags in there. Not anything wrong with Nick Spencer. Nick Spencer gets Spider Man's humor. Um, but I am going to miss that about, uh, Dan Slott writing Spider-Man. So, uh, but yeah, that was, they defeat, um, Machine Man, Jocasta and Machine Man kind of break up. Uh, Tony's not going to press any charges against them, like, because he's like, oh, you helped me get all the bugs out, huh? Um, so yeah, uh. And yeah, the comic ends with Jocasta going back into the escape, being able to look like a human because she wants to be a human. Like, she wants to be a part of... I don't want to do the whole Little Mermaid thing, part of your world. But, uh... Yeah, that's that's kind of her whole thing. She wants to be a human and be one of us or whatever. Um, and I swear, I'm calling it right now. They're going to build up her up. They're going to build her up to the point where fans, like, really love... Like, will tell... They feel like the fans really love her and yada yada yada, and they're gonna come. She's gonna come real close to being human, for real. And then as soon as she becomes human, boom, she's gonna get executed or killed or something. I guarantee you that's what's gonna happen. I'm seeing it now. I'm calling it. Um, but yeah, this issue was good. Give it an eight, eight out of ten. It was really cool, really good. Um, I'm not even a big fan of Tony Stark, but uh, I really like what Dan Slott's doing with him. He's making him more fun. He's kind of making him into an anime character in a way. Like, the way he uh, is able to, like... It's like they use a different armor in every issue, which is really cool because when you got Iron Man, he's got tons of different armors for tons of situations. Why not use those armors? Why just stick to one armor for the entire series? Um, I did like the armor. I can't remember. I think it was the Prime armor. Um that he had that could transform into any of the armors that he had. I think that the one that with Brian Michael Bendis when he started his arc on Iron Man, I love that 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 suit. That suit is so cool. Um but yeah, that was that was those are the comic books I that I felt were the best. Um 
And again, if anyone's disappointed about the fact that I'm not doing like uh, old comic reviews this this podcast, like I said, I am going to do those old comic reviews, but I'm just going to do it on a separate episode. I'm going to try and get more episodes out during the week. Um, so I really am enjoying this, even if they're not like depending on uh, how many people get these and enjoy listening to them. I, I'm enjoying doing it, so that's kind of what's important. Um, so yeah, I'll just I'll just end up making more. I'll end up making a, a one for the news and the new comic books that come out, and then I'll make one for the old comic books that I'm rereading. Some of them I'm rereading, and some of them I'm reading for the first time. And then uh, I'll have a separate anime, a a separate anime uh, podcast, which I think I'm going to make the anime one for Saturdays. Because that way, all the ones I'm following would have came out, and I would have had a chance to watch them. So, uh, yeah. Uh, once again, thank you for listening, and you can ask me. I' gonna keep saying it until people do it. So you can ask me comic book related questions, and I'll put them into. I'll be putting in the the questions and stuff like that into this podcast format where uh, I talk about the news. Uh, do the new comic book reviews, and then if I ever get questions, I'll do it with this. So um, I'll add it to this. Um, yeah, like I said, you can do that with, like I've been saying, you can do that with by going to my Twitter or Instagram, Marvel Kid AJ, and just uh, ask me comic book related questions. And if I like the question, I'll add it to the show, and you'll be on my show. Um, So yeah, thanks for joining me in the Joker's Corner, and have a good day.